This weekend, we uh, get to have in the house a special guest, Pastor Mike Plain. Some of you guys may know him or remember. How many of you guys were here uh, the last time Pastor Mike spoke? All right, several of you guys. Some of you guys are new. Uh, and so if you don't know Pastor Mike, let me just say he's been an associate pastor, he's been a senior pastor, he's been a pastor, two pastors. Uh, for a while he was my boss. How'd you like to have that job, right? And uh, so uh, I've known Pastor Mike for how long? What, eight, we said 18 years or something like that? Just a long time. And uh, I, can say, I can say all of these things. I can say all this resume stuff and all the things that he's doing and traveling around and stuff. But uh, I, I think the most important thing I could say after just knowing Pastor Mike on a personal level uh, for a long, long time is I know this, that he genuinely loves God and he genuinely loves people. And I don't think there's any higher thing I could say about somebody than that. So would you guys give Pastor Mike a big welcome as he comes and brings the word? Good morning, Journey Church. I, I tell you, um, you know, being Sean's boss was not the greatest challenge in my life. The greatest challenge in my life was being Linda Buckle's boss. Don't try that at home. Linda used to come in my office and ask a question, and she would never wait for me to answer. She didn't come into my office and ask a question for the answer. She came in to ask a question and to give me her answer so that I could agree with it. I learned a long time ago this proverb that says, even a, a fool's considered wise when he keeps his mouth shut. You know, you just, Linda, come in, you just keep your mouth shut. So you were a piece of cake, Sean. You really were. I, I, I will say this. I, I am so uh, proud of, of Sean and Becca and the way that they have been and are leading this church it's, it's amazing. Like I said, I've known them for 18 years. I told somebody this last night. I said, you know, I know, you know we all, through the years, we grow. We change physically, you know. It's, my beard used to be this darker color. Now it has, when it grows out, it has tints of white and gray in it and everything. So I think, but, but, but in knowing uh, Sean and Becca Phillips for 18 years, what hasn't changed is their character. They're people of character. They're people of position. They're people of honor. They're people that love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I don't know about you, but that's, that's the kind of leader that you feel safe under, you know? And so you ought to be glad that you have that kind of leadership in this house. And not only them, but the team, the amazing team that is here. Oh, my gosh, the worship. You know, uh, uh. I, I saw it this way this morning, sitting there, and it's like all of a sudden, you know, we're worshiping. And all of a sudden, you, you ever been driving down the road and you, like one of your favorite songs comes on the radio? You ever done that? And you just, oh, 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 favorite song. You know, and you turn it up. It's like I, I saw the Lord this morning, and all of a sudden he's going, oh, 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 one of my favorite songs is on. At Journey Church, one of my favorite songs. You know what God's favorite song is? It's a song of the heart. That's his favorite song. And I saw him say, Jesus and the Holy Ghost, come over here to my favorite songs on and do, turn it up, crank it up. 
Now, the Bible says that was the, heaven's going to be, you know, a raucous worship. You know? Why is that? Because God's turning up the songs of the heart. He's like, woo! You know? So we might as well just join in, right? All right. All right. If you would, please find the book of Jonah in your Bible or on your device. It's probably going to be, for those, some of you, a whole lot easier on a device than your Bible. You say, where in the world is the book of Jonah? Well, if you find Matthew, just keep turning left. You'll find it. Or, uh, for those of you that, you know, you may know your Bible a little bit better, find the book of Daniel and turn right. So either way, you'll find it, all right? And uh, while you're turning there, I want to pray. Lord, my prayer this morning is out of Psalms chapter 119, verse 130, that says, The unfolding of your word enlightens, brings enlightenment, brings revelation, and gives understanding even unto the simplest. And here we are, Lord, this morning is just simple humanity before an amazing and powerful God. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that, that you would help me to speak, unfold your word this morning in such a way that these people, your people, this blessed people, would not just receive this morning, but, Lord, my prayer is that they would conceive something, that we conceive something of the light and revelation of Jesus Christ and who he is who he is in them, who he is in our midst, who he is as our Lord and Savior. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The book of Jonah, one of the minor prophets, considered one of the minor prophets. That's not because it was less important, but because it was a shorter book. Okay? Now, I used to have to teach uh, Old Testament, the Old Testament prophets uh, when I was at Word of Life, on staff with Word of Life. That's where... Uh, Sean and I were up uh, previous, and, and also Pastor Linda. Uh, we had a disciple, kind of like a two-year discipleship school, and, and so um, I had to teach Old Testament prophets. Now, here's how I think it all played out. See, Linda got to teach a class at 10 o'clock in the morning on the victorious life. And they had this slot at 1.30 in the afternoon, Old Testament prophets, right after they're feeding all these students a high-carb lunch. And they're looking for some sucker to teach this Old Testament plot. And I, I think it went down kind of like this. is, hey, Mikey, let's get Mikey to do it. And so I got to teach Old Testament prophets at 1.30 in the afternoon after... You know, hide carb in it, all these, you know, like, you know. So you get creative in how to teach Old Testament prophets, you know. Nevertheless, the book of Jonah is a very beautiful book. It really is. And, and if you haven't, I, I would uh, encourage you to read it sometimes. You know, it's one of those historic story tale books so to speak, of Jonah and the whale. And we ever, but, but really, it's so much more than that. Actually, it's a, it's, it's a beautiful allegory of the, of the death, uh, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. 
It really is. And it's, there's so many things in here. But, but what I want to uh, share with you today is some things out of the book of Jonah on the subject of places of unlikely revival. Because we see really several, I call it three uh, revivals, but it really is, is a mixture of, of awakenings and revivals that happen throughout the book of Jonah. And so um, I want to, uh, to share with you some things from that. So uh, let, let me say this about revival. I think sometimes, you know, we have these, these uh, words and, and, and things that we talk about. And, and through the years, sometimes subjects, the, the true definition of them get hijacked. And, and I think revival is one of those. It's, it's the true definition of a revival has gotten hijacked. Now we think about revival, we think about, you think about a tent meeting maybe or, you know, or, you know, a meeting where maybe everybody's laying on the floor and all kinds of crazy stuff going on. And, and that can be, that can be a part, but that's not, that's not the sum of the whole. And so what I want to do is I just, I want to give you just some simple definitions of what revival is. Okay, so that as we go through here, we'll see some of this. So uh, uh, one of the first definitions is it's a new production of an old play. Now, I'm not advocating or promoting uh, this movie in any way. I'm just using it as an example. But last year, a movie came out. It was called The Star is Born with uh, Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper. Okay, what that was was a revival of an original 1954 production that starred Judy Garland. And so what they did is they revived, so to speak, this classic and brought it into a modern setting. And so in, in 63 years, what happens is we, we go from Garland to Gaga and have a revival. Okay. What this is a picture of and, and this is what, because this is really what, what a major part of revival is. It's old truths revealed through new settings. See, in the revivals today, it's not that we're changing everything. The expression of it may be different, but the reality of it is that we're bringing old truths in, forward into a new setting. Here's another definition, an improvement in the condition or strength of something. How many would agree that the church in America needs to have a new condition and a new strength. Okay. Another definition is, is an instance of something becoming popular, active, and important again. Again, how many would you agree that the church in America needs to become popular, active, and important again? The importance of the church and the lives of people has waned in this nation. Right now, the average church attendance uh, for those who call themselves Christians is 1.7 times a month. Now, how do you get 0.7 attendance? As, as, having pastored for 25 years, I kind of have a little insight. That's where you get up and leave before they receive the offering. That's the point seven, okay? So I like how they do it at Journey. They do it right up front. So, too late. But the, the church in our culture 
needs to become important again in our culture. Now, I, I'm not telling you anything because you're here, okay? What I'm talking about is, is, is in a general term, church needs to become something important again in our culture. In other words, it needs to become re, returned to a place or move forward into a place, let me put it that way, uh, of importance again, okay? So, um, what it's not, it's not just a church meeting. That's what revival is not. And that's where it's gotten hijacked into it. We think that revival is just a church meeting. It's not. Because revival will happen in the most unlikely places. And I'm beginning to see glimmers of revival happening today in the most unlikely places. On airplanes, and airport terminals, in college campuses, warehouses, manufacturing places corporate boardrooms. That's where revival is going to happen. Amen? Why? Because Jesus doesn't envision a place. He envisions a people. Jesus is looking for people. He's not just looking for a place. All right? So, um, I think things are about to change. I think things are changing. I'll say it this way, and I heard this recently. In 1976, God spoke to John Wimber, who was the founder and the leader of the Vineyard Movement. Any of you familiar with the Vineyard Movement? In 1976, God spoke to John Wimber, and he said this, I've seen your ministry, now I want to show you mine. And I think that's where we're at today. God's about to show us his ministry. The day of church being nothing more than a circus soleil with a, dead, with a TED talk is about to die. And that's where too much of our church world is gone. It's no more than a circus soleil with a TED talk. That won't transform any lives. That won't change anybody. They really entertain a lot of people. But it's not going to transform, any, transform anyone's lives. Okay, so let's get into the book of Jonah. Let's begin to look at some things. I'm not going to, for the sake of time, because um, Sean told me I had 15 minutes to do this. You guys are really demanding here, you know. Linda calls me up and she goes, I want you to teach on revival. I get here, Sean says, you have 15 minutes. We'll see how this goes. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. As I said, I'm going to read excerpts from this. We don't have the sake of time. I can't read it all, but it's a very beautiful book. So, again, I encourage you to read it. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Here's some interesting things about Jonah that we find from what's called the Talmud, which is the oral teachings of the rabbis through about 600 years of teaching, oral teachings. We find that um, Jonah um, was, was actually... Um, you all remember in 1 Kings chapter 17 the story of, of Elijah going to the widow of Zarephath? 
Okay, and there she had, you know, he said, what do you have? He goes, you know, I got some flour and some oil, and, 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 and he says, well, make me a cake first, all this, and she does that, and everything began to multiply and everything. She had a son, and then the son died, and she says, you know, you know, she calls for Elijah. He goes up, and he lays across the child three times, and the son is resurrected. Well, that, that widow was the widow of Amittai. That son was Jonah. So Jonah knows firsthand about revival. Okay? Jonah went on to become a disciple of Elisha and went on to prophesy to several kings. It was being used powerfully by God. And here we bring it into this setting. Uh, again, from the Talbud, uh, Talmud, it tells us that Jonah was approximately 100 years old, possibly. We don't know that quite definite the accuracy of that, but possibly he was about 100 years old when this occurrence happened. See, old dogs can learn new tricks. Amen? This old dog has been learning a lot of new tricks, a lot of new things, and working with a lot of 20 and 30-year-olds and helping them tr plant churches. I've learned a lot of things new. You have to always be willing to be teachable, and you have to be willing to be hungry. Amen? So um, God speaks to... Uh, Jonah, and he says, I want you to go to Joppa. He's, a, he's in the area, he's in the northern kingdom, in the area, that area. So he goes, you know, I want you to uh, go to, or I want you to go um, to, to Nineveh, excuse me. And uh, so what's Jonah do? He does what every good prophet does. He goes the opposite direction. Now, what's interesting is Nineveh was 550 miles from Joppa, to Nineveh, and Tarshish was 2,500 miles. Some of us just have the uncanny gift of taking the long road in life. And so he, go, he goes down, um, he goes the opposite direction, and he gets on this ship, and uh, what happens is because he's, he's you know, going the opposite direction, and uh, I found this is that when you run away from God, you never get to where you're going, and you always pay your own fare. Okay? Your distance of disobedience is no match for the patience, grace, and forgiveness of God. Right there, that's good news. We could stop right there, say amen, and go home. Glad I didn't get any amens right there. So we go on this, so what happens is Jonah gets on the ship with, you know, these barbaric, polytheistic sailors and, and heads to Tarshish. See, why Tarshish? Well, at this time, Tarshish was the furthest place you could travel maritime in the world at that time. That's the furthest place you could go on a ship was Tarshish. He was trying to go to the furthest place that he could go away from God. What happened? And then this, this storm comes up and... And these sailors, you know, they're trying to throw it, they're lighten the ship and trying to put these ropes around the ship to hold it together and everything. And, 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 and much uh, as Mesopotamian Sumeric beliefs in that time um, uh, were and throughout the ages is that if there's something bad happens, then that means God's mad at you. That's not necessarily true, but that was their belief. So apparently somebody's God is mad at. So they start doing an inventory of who it is whose God is mad at them. And lo and behold, the lot falls on 
on uh, Jonah that your God is mad at you. And he confesses, yes, I've, it is. Uh, you know, I'm supposed to be going the opposite direction, but I come on here. And, and even after they, even after he confesses his fault, they still try to keep, you know, lighten the load and try to keep him on there. But Lord, Jonah finally says this. He says, you know, the only way this is going to work is if you guys throw me overboard. And what it is is a beautiful picture of self-sacrifice. Because if we want to see revival, if we want to receive revival in our own lives, if we want to receive revival in our midst, it's going to take some sacrifice. And much of our culture today is not into sacrifice. We don't like inconvenience. We like things smooth, don't we? We like things easy. But I'm telling you, to see the moves of God that we want to see in our day, we're going to have to be willing to be inconvenienced. We're going to have to be willing to get some hunger in our lives. One of the biggest challenges that we have in our, in our culture today is indifference. And indifference is a result of dissatisfaction. Typically, two things happen when you become dissatisfied. You either get hungry or you get indifferent. And what I'm finding today is that much of the world, much of our culture outside of the church culture is becoming hungry, and many in the church culture are becoming indifferent. That's why we have 1.7 attendance. Why is it? That's the result of, in, uh, of uh, indifference. Okay? So they throw Jonah overboard, and, and what happens? Let's pick it up in verse 15. So they picked up Jonah hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. See, the picture of Jesus here is that there was a, there was a demand, there was a justice, a, a cry of justice from heaven that said there must be a spotless sacrifice. There must be one who is sacrificed for many. And that's what we see in this picture of Jonah is that he made the sacrifice for many. Who are you going to make a sacrifice for? The reason I am standing here before you today is because somebody made a sacrifice in prayer for me. Somebody went before God and cried out unceasingly for me. They gave of themselves, they threw themselves over into the place of prayer for me. What are you, where and what are you willing to throw yourselves over into? To see something happen in our, our day. Because it's not just going to happen. All right? So the, and, and look what happens. So they throw Jonah overboard. The storm ceases. And all of a sudden what happens? These barbaric polytheistic sailors, maritimers, fall on their knees and cry out and accept the God of Jonah. Or we would say they got born again. They got saved. They accepted Jesus. It's a picture of that. That's revival. My friends, when you see a ship full of barbaric sailors accept Christ and fall down and accept the one and only God instead of all the many different gods, they accepted the one God, the God of Jonah. That is a picture of revival. So then we go on to see what happens is they throw Jonah overboard, and it says that God sent a great fish. We're not told what this great fish is, but I'm, for the sake of uh, uh, the today, this morning, 
I, I'm going to say that uh, it was a blue whale because that's the largest of the whale species. Okay, so this blue whale swallows Jonah, and he's in the belly of this whale. I think this is the, the and, and what he begins to do, get ahead of myself here, what he begins to do is, if you read chapter 2, chapter 2 is just really a summation of Psalms. So he says, in verse 2, I called out to the Lord uh, out of my distress, and he answered me. That's Psalms 18. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. That's Psalm 18. Uh, drop down verse 4, and then I said, I am driven away from your sight. That's Psalm 139. All the way through chapter 2 is nothing but Jonah crying out from the Psalms. How many times in your situations is that your response? When you're in your belly of the whale or your circumstance or your situation, what is your response? Or let me ask you this, or what is your reaction? Because Jonah begins to cry out from the word of God. I think this is why Paul and Silas did what they did in the jail. Because I think they had learned, because Paul was an astute student of the, of the word of God of the Old Testament. What we know is the Old Testament. And I think he said, well, this worked for Jonah. Maybe it'll work for us. And so they begin to what? Sing psalms and hymns out to God. They begin to sing praises to God. Jonah had his own revival in the belly of the whale. And just stop and think about the natural setting of this. You're in the belly of a fish. How many fishermen do we have in here? You ever open up a fish and smell the inside of it? Imagine what's in the belly of a whale. I mean, they just kind of open their mouth and let everything come in. You imagine what's... You know, today there'd be plastic bags and everything else in there. You know. But there's seaweed, and I got I, and, and I envision him. You know, he's in the belly of the whale. I don't know what kind of juices are in there. He's covered in seaweed, and smelly, and you got tin cans and plastic bottles floating around. And and what's he do? He's he's uh, he's having revival. In the belly of the whale, he's having revival. He's crying out to God. And here's the thing about it. See, you see what, many times what we don't understand, because here he is in the belly of the well, he doesn't realize what's happening. But it said he, for three days and three nights he was in the belly of the well. Well, blue whales travel at 12 to 14 miles an hour, and they never stop swimming. Even when they sleep, they still swim. They have this in their system to where, because if a blue whale stops swimming, guess what happens? It sinks. Okay. So they, they're constantly swimming. So I did a little bit of math, and I figured out if they're traveling at 12 to 14 miles an hour, they're constantly swimming three days and three nights. That means that whale traveled over 1,000 miles. See, sometimes what we don't realize is in our dilemma and our circumstance and our situation, we don't realize that God is using it to move us. Because that whale comes back to Joppa. It says it came back. It says that that whale brought him to a place. I believe it was Joppa. Brought him to a place and what? Spit him out. What did it do? It repositioned him back to the place that God had called him from for the purpose that God had called him to. See, God doesn't change his mind about you. Aren't you glad about that? 
And so no, many times, even if we, we try to go off, we get off or whatever, God said, that's okay for the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. I have a plan for you. I have a love for you. And no matter what you go through, I'm going to do whatever I can do. I'll use whatever circumstance I need to use to get you back into the place for my purpose for your life because I have something great that I want to do with you. So the whale spits Jonah out. Jonah's like, I think I have an idea of what God wants me to do. I think he wants me to go to Nineveh and proclaim something. So here's the picture. I'm going to bring it into a modern day. So I'm going to have my friend Andy come up and help me. And I ask Andy to help me just because he's got a cool beard. He's a cool guy, but I just, I just really like Andy's beard. I used somebody last night, and I said that, and he goes, would you tell my wife that? And I'm like, I had to do marital counseling in the middle of my... So here, here's, this, here's, here's the story. You're going to say, you're going to be Jonah, and I'm going to be God. I get to be God because this is my message, okay? Does that work for you, Andy? Okay. So God says... Here's what I want you to do, Andy. I, I want you to go to uh, northern Iraq and uh, go up to Mosul and then take a left and travel about 40 miles northwest of Mosul and you'll come into this huge encampment of ISIS. Okay? It's huge. It's going to take you about three days to walk across it. That's how many people are there, this encampment. Uh, but don't worry, I'm not going to have you walk off. I'll only want you to walk one day's journey into the midst of that ISIS camp. And then I want you to do this. I want you to only say seven words, Andy. Seven words. That's all I want you to say. Seven words. Got it? What do you think about that? Uh, wonder what seven words are. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Everybody give Andy a hand. That was the picture here. Because the Ninevites were very, I mean, actually, uh, ISIS looked like preschoolers compared to the Ninevites. They were very barbaric, just, just cruel people. I won't go into some of the things, but they were just cruel. And they were feared greatly by all of those around, by all of their enemies. They were feared, their adversaries, and they were an adversary to the Israelites, and they were feared by them. And so here God speaks. He says, Here's, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go in a day's journey um, outside of Mosul, because that's actually where Nineveh is. It's about 40, 50 miles northwest of current-day Mosul. And I want you to go in there, and I just want you to say seven words. And even the seven words are not anything like exquisite. Here's the seven words. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. I'm, does that sound like astounding words to you? I mean, it's like, whoa, you know. No, I mean, it wasn't even, don't even go in and say, thus saith God. No, it was, he just said, go in and say, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So he does it. And guess what happens? The whole nation turns, repents, and turns to God from the king on down. The whole nation. 
I'm reading that. I read the book of Jonah. I taught the book of Jonah for years. And reading that, and it just hit me one day. Seven words changed a culture, brought revival, brought an awakening. Seven words. And I was, I was walking around my house one day. I had my Bible. I was reading. I just kept reading that. Seven words, seven words. And finally, I felt like the Lord spoke to me, and he said, the reason that you don't see that your culture changing today is because you're speaking your words, not my words. Oh, man, that hit me. He said, you've not taken any time to hear my words. Now, about not quite a year previous to that, in January of 2018, I'm, I'm praying one day, and the Lord speaks to me, and he says, um, you know, my heart speaks to me, and he says, I want you to be led by the Spirit of God. And I thought, I thought I was. I thought I was. I mean, I've, Jesus, I've walked with you for 40-some years. I thought I was being led by the Spirit. And then, then this, this, this knowing these words begin to be unfolded to me, and I understood what God was saying. He says, you've been living on what you have heard, not what I'm on, I'm, on what I'm saying. What is God saying to you? Because I will guarantee you God is saying something to you. For you, and for the sphere of influence that you have because every one of us has a sphere of influence whether it's whether it's in our immediate home whether it's in our neighborhood whether it's in our work and profession environment whatever you have a sphere of influence and God has something to say to you about it but are you willing to hear and then once he says are you willing to speak and there will be things that God will have you do at times, or say at times, you won't even... There was a gentleman last night who said that uh, a co-worker, and he said one day, he said the Lord spoke to him and said, ask her about her mom. And he said, I wasn't close to this co-worker. I didn't know anything. It was just, you know, it was kind of like worked in the same office or whatever, didn't really have any interaction, whatever. So this, this, this person comes walking by, and he goes, um, hey, I just need... How's your mom? And she just stopped and like, and so he began to tell her, she began to tell him some of the things that his mom was going through. And he goes, well, I think, I think um, that the Lord just wants me to let you know that um, he, he knows what's going on and that I'm going to be praying for her. Just, I mean, just, the woman just started weeping. See, to me, that's a form of revival. Why? Because somebody's life, the condition of somebody's life is being changed. Something is happening. You know, I travel a lot. I fly a lot. And, and I don't, I'm at the point where I don't get enamored with flying anymore. You know? So um, I told this story last, I'll tell it real quick, and then we're going to be done. Because my 15 minutes is about up. So the Lord led me to lead this book called Faust. Any of you familiar with Faust? Wolfgang von Goethe. It's, it's kind of a different book. Let me put it that way. 
And so I'm on a plane and I'm reading this book. And this lady was a seat over from me and she looks over at me and she said, uh, are you reading that book because you want to or you have to? And I said, well, I'm reading it because I want to. And she goes, I've never met anybody that wanted to read that book. She goes, I had to read that book in college and I hated it. Why are you reading it? And I said, I don't know, you know, just a... It just really felt like I was supposed to read it and everything. And she goes, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a Russian spy. I'll stop right there. I said, no, actually, um, you know, I, I do consulting for churches and speaking and work with churches and everything. And she goes, oh, I used to go to church. I said, oh, used to? That tells me that you currently don't. I said, why don't you currently go to church? She goes, you know, I don't know why. I said, well, let's talk about that for a little bit. I said, are you mad at it? No. Are you hurt or anything? No. I said, then it sounds to me like you really don't have any reasons not to go to church. She goes, you know, I, th I think you're right. And this was a lot longer conversation. I'm kind of condensing it. So we get off the, the, the plane and we walk up. And because we were sitting by each other, we were kind of walking up the, the, uh, the, the ramp or the whatever they call that thing, the tunnel. And uh, she was going one direction. I went the other. And I said, hey. She stopped. She goes, yes. I said, see you on church Sunday. She goes, you know what? I think I will. See, to me, that was a form of revival. Why? Changing the condition of something. You're changing a person's, where their, their, their weakness and, and, and see, we get, that's, that's what I'm saying, is that, that you and I can be re involved in revival almost every day of the week. Almost every day of the week. God wants to use you as an agent for revival and awakening. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close with this. Here's, here's uh, what I believe. I believe there's a significant awakening that's coming in our culture through revival that's beginning to stir and equip the church, and it's just not necessarily going to happen in the church building. Are you good with that? Amen. I got you out of here before 1055. You can beat all the denominationalist <laughs> to Perkins. That'll be a revival right there. Why don't you stand with me this morning? Lord, thank you that, uh, again that there is something that um, I believe, I pray, I trust has, has sparked, has, has released, has conceived in the hearts of uh, these your people. I thank you for the privilege and the opportunity that I've had today to, to stand before this amazing church, before these people that you so lavishly love and, uh, and so desire to uh, release your lavish love into their hearts. So thank you today. Today's a good day. God, I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.